for some strange reason, U.S. national park lands are a hotbed for unexplained disappearances. People go missing, unexplained. Some are never found. Some are found in places that were already looked at. Some are found in impossible conditions or impossibly far away. Uh, it's sort of referred to as the missing 411 phenomenon. We're going to talk about that for a little bit. Now, just to add on to that, there's 423 national parks in the United States, and there's over 1,200 cases that have never been explained. Let's dive in. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten, and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. There's roughly 640 million acres of federal land That's in America. A lot. That's a lot. Includes national parks, national forests, and uh, Bureau of Land Management properties. So there are lots of missing person cases that happen in these areas, and some of them are easily explained. Hypothermia, falls, avalanches, mountain lions. I mean, if you, you go, bears. I'm going to say, if you get on Facebook, you're going to see some, some videos of mountain lions stalking people. So that's easily understood. Um, but many are not quite so easily explained by any of the above. Uh, these are the, the people that go missing uh, mysteriously. And I got to say, when you brought this up for a podcast, I was not familiar with this at all. And as I dove into it, it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it, it's, it's a weird little rabbit hole once you discover it. And and that's just if you pursue the missing people cases that, that sort of, that, you know, they they just sort of disappeared. And then you can pursue some of the weirder cases, which a lot of mine are just normal disappearances, but I do have one of the weirder ones that I found that I thought was kind of interesting. Okay. Um, but according to NAMUS, the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, more than 600,000 people go missing in the United States every year. Between 89 to 92% of these are recovered, either alive or deceased, unfortunately. Uh, it's unknown how many of these people go missing in our nation's national parks. They're Strangely enough, is no system to track that. And the National Park System actually seems to be actively working against organizing a system to track that. That'd be a little kind of bad publicity, so to speak. Yeah, again, the the theory of that one being, of course, if they knew how easy it was to disappear in a national park and never be found again. Well, and and some might argue, and I started to argue this kind of in the back of my mind, is, okay, national parks, you've got a gathering of of people. Some may be well-equipped and taught. Some may be more novice. And you've got more disappearances there. That that kind of stands to reason. Some of it does stand. You can understand it to a degree. But then some of the, the stories and how they find the stuff does not make sense. Now, the gentleman who kind of started the ball rolling on this particular, what, what, what I'm going to call missing 411. Right. We're going to borrow a, that from him. Yeah. A guy named David Paulides, who uh, was apparently a Bigfoot researcher before he, he started going down this, this trail and investigating this missing person. And I think he was also a phenomenon. police detective as well. And yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, he now has a series of self-published books, all in the Missing 411 series, and two documentary films, which I think can be found on Amazon. Yeah, there was one in particular, uh, and I want to give him credit for this. It was called uh, Missing 411, The Hunted. It came out yeah. in 2019. Some very good stuff. Very good stuff. 
But uh, but the these books and the films they they document these unsolved cases of people who go missing in our national parks. Now he began work in this field while he was doing research in a national park for for Bigfoot studies. But apparently, an off-duty ranger approached him and was concerned about the questionable nature of missing persons cases in national parks. Apparently, this guy, him and Paul Leeds, had a very long conversation that day in an isolated cabin, uh, of which Paul Leeds refuses to release any specific information about. With his logic being that he doesn't want that person to be retaliated against in any way he's concerned right. that that person could be singled out any identifying information which when you talk about the things we talk about when you refuse to release identifying information it always gets a little shady yeah but he, he he's concerned about this person's well-being obviously according to paul Leeds, there are at least sixteen thousand people give or take currently missing in the wilds of the united states these these national parks bureau of land management uh he has identified what he calls 59 clusters where there are four more cases in an area in the united states and southern canada and he specifically states that yosemite crater lake yellowstone the grand canyon and rocky national parks are the worst so these these are if you don't want to disappear in a national park these are places you you don't go <laughs> now as someone who's been to yellowstone someone who's been to the grand canyon likewise here yeah you take a wrong step of the grand canyon oh my and you're probably never gonna be doozy. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it, it it'll be like those old uh looney tunes cartoon where you fall and then you stop and you Ooh. check your watch and yeah by the time you get <laughs> this the impact's ball, gonna really hurt yeah and then yellowstone i mean that's just so much wild land fast and seeing some of that and then of course you have i mean I'm going to, a little anecdote here, but you know, they say you're not supposed to touch the buffalo, that they're, they kill more people than, than bears. Yeah. My sister confided years after we had visited Yellowstone that she went ahead and pet one of she, those big boys. She petted a buffalo. Oh my. So yeah, like you could get trampled by buffalo, eaten by bear. And like you said, you could be out there camping and not quite adequately prepared mm-hmm. and, and find yourself. Hypothermia. Yeah. I mean, weather conditions, yeah, all and, kinds of and stuff. And hypothermia. I mean, a lot of people don't realize, you know, you're freezing to death. It's hypothermia. But the last stages of hypothermia, you actually start to feel warm and people will shed their clothes. And obviously that's not going to make it any better. Right, right. So. Now, I believe he also kind of put together what he calls profile points. I don't know if you're going to touch on those. I didn't find that. Um, Yeah, David uh, put together what he calls profile points. And these are things that he thinks uh, these cases kind of have similarities of. One of them, he believes that it happens uh, at separation, which stands to reason. You go well, in a, a group. A lot of, of the ones I found. Yeah, you go in a group, four, six, 12, and one guy, for whatever reason, goes off, and you know that's the one that yeah, mis- but, but disappears. But in some of these cases, that separation could literally be the time it takes. Somebody gets out ahead, they're walking a little bit faster, and they go over a rise. Right, right. And they're gone. Like By the time yep. the rest of the group gets over that yep. hill, they're gone forever. Moments away. Uh, another one is canines can't seem to get tracks yeah. or trace. Like even when they find a personal belonging, the canines can't like pick up it, a trail. You're, yeah, you're talking in, in summertime with like undisturbed ground and, and within hours. And these are trained canines. Yeah. This is their job. Another one is that they're uh, either the body or items from that that person or individual are found in areas that were previously searched like the day before. Yeah. Bodies literally found just right off the trail where you couldn't miss it if you were looking. And again, maybe not all the time, but a lot of times these are trained uh, trackers and that's what they do for a job well, is to go out here and find people. There seems to be a higher percentage of children in, among these missing, mm-hmm. which I, I mean kind of stands to reason, reason. Now, another thing he brought up, which I thought was very interesting, is there's usually boulder fields, uh, quartz was even mentioned, limestone, granite. 
around a lot of these disappearances, which we've talked about in previous podcasts. Well, and to kind of expand on that, some of these bodies are found in places like tangled up in like briars and, and on cliff ledges that they shouldn't have been able to reach. Yes. You know? Yeah. How in the world do they get yeah. there? Um, another profile point he mentions is that they usually disappear in the afternoon to early evening. Yep, Still afternoon. daylight, though. And before severe weather. Yes, that was another one. It's like there's always a severe weather that happens like just days afterwards. Yeah. Um, another one is mentioned near water. Again, that that comes that up. kind of and, stands and to reason. Maybe swept away. Especially in cold climates where bodies don't float once they sink. Now, here's a stranger one. Uh, missing clothes, shoes, or clothing uh, are removed, now, as you mentioned, in hypothermia. But cases. this is even in areas where hypothermia is ruled Not out. Not the case. Yeah, yes. like in, in summertime and in, in hot environments. And then another thing is unknown cause of death. Like the coroners, when they do find the, the, the bodies, the coroners can't for sure tell what the cause of death was. Like it's not a for sure drowning. It wasn't a for sure impact to the head. It yeah. wasn't. It's very They're vague. Strange. And then, um, as you had already mentioned, the other one he mentions is that they uh, appear to be in clusters and groupings yeah. uh, across the United States. Now, but, like like we said earlier, you could argue you have a lot of people going to national parks who maybe aren't trained survivalists. I know I'm not a hiker. I, if I, I went out on a three-day <laughs> hike, I probably wouldn't make it back. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I've gone out <laughs> on like an hour hike, and if you go up the right hill, oh, I'm like, just leave me. This is just go on without me. I, uh, I've taken my kids hiking and you know, I, I'm going to say it says a lot about my physical condition, but when I've been at Springs. There's, there's a pretty sizable hill you go up at one point and I, I would be lying if I didn't say I got to the top and had to sit there for 15 more than minutes. a little winded. Yes. I feel so, your pain. Yeah. Uh, you got people, I mean, you know, folks out of shape, young folks, folks that aren't educated and they're going out in these wild places and. But then you have, like, yeah. the, I'm going to share a case here. Uh, this is a retired airborne ranger that went missing. Well, that's a guy that should survive. His name is Tom Messick, I believe. Uh, this was in September 2015. He was 82 years of age. Uh, this was in the Brant Lake, Albany, New York area. Uh, one of the strange things that, that was noted on this was the FBI was involved with this disappearance. Now They do turn up from time to time. Generally... The FBI is not involved with missing case miss, missing cases persons unless it's a small child or there's certain certain circumstances only on certain elite circumstances I might say. But Tom Messick, this gentleman was an experienced hunter. He was a fisherman, retired Airborne Ranger veteran. This man taught hunting safety classes in his local town. He had lost partial vision in his right eye due to, uh, I believe it was an explosion gunpowder type uh, injury. He was um, a father of three sons, and all of them loved to go out and hunt and fish. He did have a little bit of hearing loss on the same side that he had lost his eyesight. So that, again, kind of goes back to one of the profiles uh, that they mentioned that sometimes they have some, some type of minor health issues. Yeah, it does come up with kids, too. Like, well, the kids that go missing seem to uh, have a higher percentage of learning disabilities. Oh, okay. Okay. People who, who knew Tom Messick said, he, you know, he's not a heavy drinker. He might have had one beer around the campfire at a night. Uh, but uh, at this time in September 2015, it was kind of a last minute. They decided to go hunt in a new area up around uh, what they call Lily Pond. And it was a group of, I believe, like six or eight people. And there was essentially, I'll, I'll break it down as like four older people. 
like retirement age and, and Tom fit in that. And then four younger people like the sons. And the, the older group was to set up at about two, 300 yards away. The younger ones would circle around and, and basically try to, to, to uh, scare up deer and stuff that would come by. And the older hunters then would then take, you know, take the kill. This was Tom's spot. He was kind of in the middle of four different ones. So the four men walk down the trail uh, within sight of each other. They separate about two to 300 yards um, out of sight, but still, this is the plan. This is where you're at. This is where, I mean, everybody kind of knew where everybody's roles was and where they were going to be. The The younger hunters, unfortunately, they, they, the hunt went on for like two hours. They were unable to scare up anything. Ironically, they didn't see anything, which was another kind of weird tale. No squirrels, no birds, no deer. Uh, it was just kind of weird. Now, one of the other older hunters that was near Tom said that he did remember hearing something, as he just described, different in the woods uh, that afternoon. He then later said it was almost like a giant bear trap that clamped shut, like one of those big steel hinged, you know, kind of deals. As I said, the hunt lasted about two hours, start to finish. They came back. Nobody had seen anything. They, they knew the plan, but Tom didn't pick up. Now, to add to this, to tell you how well-equipped these guys were, they all had radios. They were all on the same channel. Um, they had been communicating back and forth as they kind of said, okay, let's call it. Tom would not respond. Now, again, this is a retired airborne ranger. Uh, you know, somebody said, well, maybe he lost his radio. Well, again, this is not the type of guy that would, you know, pin it on like what I might and go through the woods and get it <laughs> drug off. Just totally vanished. They spent the rest of the night driving the roads, honking the horns, firing shots in the air, um, a massive state ranger search and cured. Again, they stated, the rangers, it was odd that no wildlife was in the area. I thought that was very strange. Again, canines were called in, couldn't pick up a scent. Now, they knew exactly where he was within a very small proximity. No signs. Not that he was a litter, but no candy wrappers, no no radio, no gun, no shells, no flashlight, yeah. no nothing. Absolutely yeah, they, nothing. These people disappear without a trace. It was it was really weird. Now, one of the thoughts was he maybe made it out to a road and got hit. So they searched the roads. They searched the ditches. This, this search went on for like a week and a half. Again, this is a, a retired Army veteran. How does this happen? No sign of anything. No sign of any remains. It's, it's weird. Yeah. And, and that, like you said, that's a guy who should survive. He's a survivor. He's type. a survivor. Yeah. Oh, and, and things like this happen. Um, July 23rd, 2015, in the Rio Grande National Forest in Colorado. Mm -hmm. You have a, uh, it's the day before Joe Keller's 19th birthday. And Joe Keller is an athletic young man, participates in a lot of extracurriculars, you know. So he, he's not unhealthy. He's the prime of his life, right? Mm -hmm. So he decides, him and a friend, uh, Colin, uh, we're going to go off and, and when I say Colin, I think it was Colin's, I think is his last name. I don't know. I don't know that I found his gotcha. name. Gotcha. Uh, but Keller decides he's going to leave his phone, his wallet at the ranch that they're staying at this little ranch house. And then he's going to go for a run, him and his friend Colin. So four thirty, they both start out. Now they do get separated. I think Keller wanted to take a, a slightly more treacherous route, uh, more rigorous, whereas Colin was looking for more of a leisurely run. Gotcha. Uh, the GPS on Keller's watch shows him turning right off Forest Road 250 onto the ranch drive and then walk going up behind the lodge. And then after that, it just kind of loses contact. Uh, a fisherman uh, said he saw Colin about two and a half miles up the road, but no trace of Joe. And of course, Colin and Joe were supposed to have met up by that point in time. And 
you know, Colin thought maybe Joe had gotten ahead of him or, or something like that. So he, you know, just kept on, he didn't think much about it. Just right. kept on running. Right. Colin got back to the ranch and within a couple hours, it was clear that Joe wasn't going to make it back. Uh, within, within the next 24 hours, I think, uh, 15 dogs and 200 people searched the entire area of this ranch on foot. Uh, they utilized an uh, infrared-equipped airplane flying over to pinpoint hot spots. Wow. Never found again. Uh, and, and Keller's dad has, has vowed to spend like every last penny of his fortune, what fortune, his money, whatever he's got, whatever he's got, his life know, savings to find his son, obviously who wouldn't do that. Right. But he just disappeared on this ranch, never to be seen again. Have you heard the tale about the crazy mountains in Montana? <sighs> I, I don't believe it. I love the name of the mountains. So crazy mountains. It's called literally I, the crazy mountains. I thought mountains. that was some, some hyperbole there. Uh, no, it's, <laughs> uh, it's an isolated area in Montana. It's not part of the Rocky Mountains. Uh, it's actually 300 million years younger, if you will, than the Rockies. It's near the Yellowstone River. There was a, a young man, uh, 38. His name was Aaron Hedges. Uh, again, we have a very avid hunter fisherman. Aaron and two friends drove up on September 3rd, 2014. Uh, they, they first rode in with a trailer with two horses and a mule up into uh, the mountain range and uh, leave for what was planned to be a week-long hunting trip. Uh, now, to put that in perspective, this is something these gentlemen did every other weekend. They knew this yeah, they area, knew the area very well. This uh, incident kind of started off with a little bit of a uh, a gimp, if you will, the, as they started up the trail to Campfire Lake, uh, one of the mule or the mule got spooked and it threw a lot of Aaron's equipment over the side of a cliff. <laughs> Not the good way to start a week long hunting trip, but Hey, no problem. We're here every other weekend. Yeah. We've got a small cabin with a cache of stuff up here, just up just like two miles away. So no big deal. Again, we're familiar with the area. Aaron says, I'm going to run up ahead. I'm going to go on up to the cabin. Got plenty of daylight. I'm going to pick up some new, uh, my new equipment, basically replace what I lost. And we're going to go on like nothing ever happened, guys. It's all good. So they had the, they had this plan. Aaron was going to go up about two miles, had to make kind of a hairpin turn, uh, up into the mountains where the cache, where the cabin was, uh, again, very familiar with this area, 40 to 50 degree weather, no snow on the ground whatsoever. And then they were to meet, uh, at the regular camp where they had planned to do their hunt. Seemed pretty simple. For whatever reason, they were packing some special radios with not only the, the voice, but had GPS coordination. So like if I was on the radio with you, to me, we would be able to hear each other, but we would also know by GPS exactly where each of us was. And that's, that's pretty so, high tech. So again, another, another step in this process that should make it harder to disappear. Absolutely. So they're, I guess they, they go their separate ways. Aaron's heading up towards the cache up in the cabin and uh, his friend, which I did not catch his name. He's heading ahead to taking the horses up and the mules to uh, join at the uh, camp where they're to set up. They talk with each other and Aaron seems fine. He's like, yeah, I'm almost there. Um, you know, I might be a little bit late, but you know, go ahead and proceed. Now they didn't know till several days later using that GPS that I mentioned, that he had missed the turn to go to this cabin where the cache was by about a mile. Huh. Now, again, he said he was good spirits, seemed top of his game. Why did he miss 40 to 50 degree weather? There's no snow. Why wow. would you miss this if you're familiar with the area? Something that comes up in a lot of these cases is that people are lured away from places that they should be comfortable at. Now, typically that happens more with children, 
Okay. But it may happen again also with the adults. It could be. Now, as we mentioned, one of the profiles was there's a weather event that occurs about Two days from that standpoint, a, a snowfall comes. And it, I won't say it was a major storm, but about six to eight inches of snow, so sufficient. Aaron's friend, of course, reports him missing uh, within probably about 24 hours, I believe. I uh, didn't show back up at the camp. Uh, he himself starts to go look for him. He knows he talked to him on the radio. The rangers and stuff, search party, are all called in. Weirdly, now we have fresh snow. There's no footprints. You can't find any footprints anywhere. They do, at this point, discover that GPS that he had missed that hairpin turn. So, okay, we're going to broaden that search. It was like he was following the river that I had mentioned rather than making that turn to go up into the cabin. Again, I mean, he's familiar with the area. Very, he knows. Every other weekend, these yeah. guys camp this area. Now, the Crazy Mountains are called Crazy Mountains for a reason. They are very jagged, sharp rocks. Uh, there's a lot of holes, cliffs, bluffs. This river. Maybe if he got turned around or whatever, he knows the river flows one way. You know, any survivalist, any hundred man knows you follow that river. It's it's going to take you somewhere. Yeah. Um, even though there was cliffs and stuff, there was ways to crawl down and, and get to water. So he still, he still would have had food. He had a pack. He had a gun. He had flashlight. He had a radio. He had a cell phone. <laughs> uh, I believe he said he had a rifle and a pistol, I believe. Uh, so, I mean, he's still well equipped. He just didn't have enough supplies for a week long hunting trip. Yeah. Um, but so anyhow, they go out and they're looking, no signs of this guy, no signs of footprints. Now, a couple days go by and on down the river, way past the hairpin turn to the cache, they search this area, can't find anything. For whatever reason, they go back and here's the, one of these first cases. We were here yesterday. There was nothing. They come up on a small campfire pit. They find a pack of cigarettes that he smoked was partially burned. They found a water bladder, one of these systems that goes in the backpack, you know, where you can drink water. And they found the waist belts of his backpack. Now, these would be the lower ones that would strap around like in your belt region, had been cut off with a knife. And they were partially burned in the little campfire area. And they were like, why? Why, why would he do that? You know, but again, with the cigarette box and different things, they, they felt confident this, this was him. Now, a short distance away from that, I guess visually, but it took him a little while to find, he had taken off his boots and neatly placed them side by side, like you'd put them on a shelf, underneath a tree, not at the campfire site, but again, a little ways away. And we said at the beginning, you said this was 40 degree weather. 40, 50, 50. 40 to 50 degree weather. Uh, then snow had come in. So yeah. now there's snow on the ground. No tracks around here. They were here yesterday. They searched this area, didn't find anything. How do you miss this stuff? <laughs> Uh, still no tracks. So it's like, how, and why would you take your shoes off or yeah. your boots? As I mentioned, jagged, sharp razor edge rocks and stuff. So they now narrow the search down around this area because they're thinking, okay, the guy's removed his boots. We're not sure what's going on. He literally can't walk too far. It would cut his feet, you know, to pieces. Yeah. Guess what? Didn't find anything, oh. you know, but this story goes on. It gets more and more interesting. So we go on nine months after the disappearance. Some local ranchers were doing uh, annual fence repairs. And they spotted a bright hunter orange vest. Uh, and it ended up being part of the backpack, actually, that the straps were cut off of. Neatly leaned up against a tree on, huh. on their ranch. Now, another couple who had searched kind of that same area 
probably within a half, three quarters of a mile, found his coffee thermos, which he said he had an energy drink in it. The lid was removed off. It was set on a rock. Thermos was sitting there and the cup and the lid. Nothing else was around. From that site, you could look down in the valley and see this rancher's barns and houses and roads. So again, it's right there. Yeah. They find the backpack, as I mentioned. The, the dad of the rancher had actually come up, and he was excited. He didn't know about a missing person. He's like, oh, my gosh, a hunter lost this. Let's open it up and see what's it. Pistol, still inside. A lighter that still functioned. Um, I believe his uh, walkie-talkie radio with GPS, I think, was also found in that, as well as food, a first aid kit. I mean, it, why? How? And yeah. this was like four miles this was like three or four miles from the campsite where his boots were found. Now, again, how in the world are you walking around barefoot <laughs> in the crazy mountains with these jagged edge rock? You know, it just, it doesn't make any sense. Fast forward now a total uh, of 23 months after the disappearance. Further away yet, 11 miles away from the original, if you will, the crash site where the mules and everything had their incident a tourist attraction where you come and ride horses and yeah. pretend you're cow folk kind of thing <laughs> is one of those. One of the guys noticed that, Hey, there's a, what looks like a skull underneath that tree over there. And so they get off and, and they are, they, they go to look and sure enough, they find some skeletal remains, a jacket. Uh, oh, this is where they find the cell phone. I, I stand corrected and bits and pieces of his body that are strung and partially buried in holes, pelvis, some ribs, uh, a femur, uh, no pants, no socks. However, uh, upper shirt, I, I think another coat or a jacket was found 11 miles away. Yeah. Uh, totally off course uh, and couldn't explain cause of death. There was no like impact that they found on the bones. Ironically, his feet, ankles, and lower legs were missing. That was the main part of the bones that were missing. Weird. Very weird. Very weird. Well, I got to, you know, we, we talked about the different clusters. I'm going to talk about some, some missing people here in Yosemite National Park. Officially, there there's more than 30 missing persons dating back to the first case in 1909. The the first known missing person that, that was not explained was an F.P. Shepard. Uh, he got lost on his way to Sentinel Dome, never to be seen again. In 1981, uh, Stacy Ann Aris, she was 14 years old. Uh, she was was camping with her father and some others in the Sunrise High Sierra Camp. Um, she knew there was a lake nearby. She told her father she wanted to go take pictures of this lake. Well, he told her, he said, go ahead and run up. And, and I guess it was probably like less than a mile from where they were at. And he said, go ahead and run up there and take those pictures, which he says to, to this day is a decision he regrets. Um, she should have been up there and back pretty quickly when, right. they, when they realized she hadn't returned. They went up to the lake to see what they could find, and there was no trace of her. Uh, I believe in the end, they found a single camera lens as evidence I had that heard she was that there. Story. That was the only thing they found, was a single yeah. camera lens. And then in 2018, a Max Les Schweitzer, uh, he rented a vehicle, and this vehicle was discovered on January 5th at the parking for Camp 4 in Yosemite Valley. But no evidence of any equipment, no evidence he had ever been there with said vehicle. Hmm. Now, I also got a batch from the Great Smoky Mountains, which I have family in that area, so I've been to the Great Smoky Mountains. And I'll tell you right now, when you're hiking up some of those trails, and this goes back to, 
you know, I hike about 15 minutes and then I got to take a 20 minute break. <laughs> it would not be out of the realm of possibility to step off the side of one of those mountain trails and just disappear. Yeah, you're gone. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're just straight down. Yeah, we think we've got mountains here in Missouri, but uh, we have hills compared to what they got. But, but these, these stories, you know, the first one's June 4th, 1969. Six-year-old Dennis Martin is playing with his brother and two other boys. They're in the Spence Field on an annual family camping trip. Uh, now, the, these boys, they get together, and they're going to scare their families, right? They're, they're, they're going to sneak up on them. Like that's never happened like, before. Like, you know, like boys do. Yeah. Uh, so the boys all gather up. And I mean, they're, they're close proximity because they're sneaking in on their campsite. So they're all right there together. When all the boys jump out, Dennis isn't with them. And they immediately like, okay, this is weird. <laughs> so they, they give it a little bit of time. They start searching for Dennis. Uh, they never do find him. Now, I want to say nine miles away, almost that same day, uh, a little kid claimed to see what he first thought was a bear. He later said it was a big, hairy man with a burden slung over his shoulder, walking through the woods. Interesting. So they, they searched, I think they searched in that area even, never found him. October 8th, 1976, 16-year-old Trini Lynn, she's on a field trip with 40 of her classmates, and they're hiking along Andrews Bald. After about 3 p.m., no one remembers seeing her. Now they're all in a group, they're all hiking together, and, and the she just kind of seems to disappear from their group. They searched for her for months, found no trace of her. September 25th, 1981, 58-year-old Thelma Pauline was hiking near Deep Creek Campground. And this is the one I kind of hinted at a little earlier. Uh, she'd been on that trail many times. She was with her friends. They were, they were familiar with the area, so they, there was no reason to suspect anything weird. Uh, now, she got a little bit ahead of them. You know, she's maybe power walking, whatever. She gets a little Again, bit ahead. Again, here's the separation uh, aspect. But she just kind of disappears over the next hill. Now, again, they're all hiking in a group. They're talking and chatting. It's not like she was that far away. The friends get up over the camp, over that hill. They don't see her. So there, maybe she took a detour. Maybe she went back to camp, whatever. They don't really know. They weren't that far apart, so they didn't think she'd have time to disappear. Well, when they get back to the campground, she's not there. Hmm. You know, some of these are just so crazy. And then you have some where these people disappear and they, they return on their own. Picture Rocks National Lakeshore in Michigan. Uh, 2017, a middle-aged woman named Kara Moore disappears. Dozens of searchers and canines covered 73,000 acres of wow. parkland. 73,000. And find no trace of her. She wanders home a week later on her own. Doesn't, doesn't have an accounting of where she was or, or why she disappeared. Now you had mentioned some, some of the people had been found. Um, one of the stories I came across... Uh, it, the person's name is kept as John Doe, and that oh, is that is that is the, the little boy. The strangest story. Um, this was because it was a, a a little boy. I think he was around the age of three to five, maybe. Uh, so it's to protect, you know, ba basically protect him. And yeah. this is in Shasta Trinity Park in Northern California. This kind of has some alien esque this one's spider weird. type. Uh, this yeah, one's there's a little all weird. kinds of stuff here. This um, they found the boy laying in a field of weeds five hours after he initially disappeared. My accounting says they found him in the middle of a grove of trees, but maybe like in the grass and okay. the trees. So, I mean, they both work. The child blurted out he did not like his other grandma yeah. when his grandma approached him. And they were a little confused because I obviously he would have had two grandmas, but I guess he was only ever around one grandma. So they were like, what? He's traumatized. You know, he... 
they kind of blew that off. But as as weeks went on and they began to talk to him, this this boy shared that he was taken into a cave system by well, a person who looked like his yeah, grandma. He, he was lured away from the camp by someone who looked like his grandma. Here's your then, lured away aspect. Yeah, and she took him into the woods and then, yeah, took him to this cave. Uh, which by his own accounting had like motionless robots and weapons yes. scattered about. Yeah, weird lights. And and, um, and of course, there was a, a strange glow that came from the old woman's head in his memory. Mm-hmm. Um, they they asked him to de- defecate yeah, on a well, piece of well, paper. And, and became very upset when he refused. Yes. Uh, this is weird stuff for even a, a small child to kind of dream up. But apparently she told him he was from outer space yes. and had been planted into his mother's womb. Yes. By the same group <laughs> of aliens that now surrounded him. And this is kind of this alien crossbreed. And he mentioned these robots and, and uh, bizarre. I mean, just yeah. absolutely bizarre. The real grandma related to this as she said that uh, she had camped in that area one year before and yeah. they had awoken dazed and confused. Yeah, she had been drugged out of her tent. Lost several hours of time, reported yeah. being sick, and they had spider bites all over yeah, their she bodies. Had, had a strange pain at the base of her neck and two small holes at the like the base of the skull. I'm sorry, but what the hell? They, they sampled her <laughs> DNA and cloned her. Jeesh. <laughs> yeah, like you, you have... The relatively mundane, you know, you have, you know, you have stories about like San Bernardino uh, National Forest, 1991, Boy Scout Jared Negrete. He goes on his first overnight camping trip with his church. He's with five scouts and their troop leader, and, and they left their their camp to go hike up the uh, Mount San Gor- Gorgonio, which I guess is the, the highest point of that. In that area, and he fell behind. Now, there's different accounts as to why he fell behind. Either he wandered off on his own, fell behind to tie his shoe. Uh, one of them says he was he was kind of a chubby kid, and the camp leader was, you know, hey, this is going to be a little bit much for you. Wait here, we'll get you on the way back. Right, right. Uh, but for one one reason or another, he fell behind, never to be seen again. I mean, kind of normal. He yeah. wasn't abducted by aliens right, or right. anything. Well, you had mentioned the story of, uh, I believe her name was Stacy Ann Aris yeah. and the Yosemite where they found just the camera lens. Yeah. Uh, I actually came across that story as well. And one of the theories, um, again, uh, it was brought up there around big chunks of granite and boulders and rock. One of the theories is that the quartz or granite rocks somehow could have a portal type aspect that literally opens up and swallows these people. And that's why you don't find anything. What? You know, you have such a wide variety of stories. Obviously, the story of little John Doe is probably that pretty was outlandish. Weird. That's and then the you, stuff you've of got sci-fi. a lot of these that are, are pretty easily explainable. And then you have some where it's literally like you know a, a park ranger stumbled upon a drug deal, never to be seen again. Right. Yeah. Of course, he's never going to be seen again. Like they're gonna. Yeah. Wrong know. place, wrong time. Well, I will take us then. Uh, th- this is directly out of the movie that I had mentioned, Missing Four One One: The Hunted in 2019, um, and this is. Uh, uh, Sonora, California Mountains, Sierra Camp is what it's called. Now, the location is secret. Uh, it is uh, basically a, a particular family of Ron Moorhead. Uh, his family through generations have taken hunters up to this area, so they, they kind of want to keep it under wraps. Um, but in 2014, the U.S. Forest Service founded and dismantled the actual camp anyhow. But you want to talk about some weird stuff. Uh, several experiences... Uh, through the years, again, it's passed down through the generations. 
One is a, the sound of a huge tuning fork. This <laughs> kind of dong, you know, uh, is heard above the camp for several nights to the point it's almost deafening. Um, another experience is lights and orbs in the air, as well as just unexplainable crashing metal sounds. Now, this is so far off the trail. There's no roads around. I mean, literally, it's a, it's a hike. But people would describe it like two cars colliding on the interstate. Wow. That type of steel meets steel. And, you know, they come racing out of their makeshift cabins and tents thinking, you know, a tree has fallen on their camp and there's no signs of anything anywhere, just inexplicably. One of the uh, members of the Moorhead family said he several times saw an elongated light. Now, he describes it in terms you and I will understand as a lightsaber. Basically, <laughs> imagine a lightsaber, about, you know, two foot, uh, a solid beam, and it's just kind of creeping above the ground, going in and around trees, and it'll come through the camp, kind of circle a few times. So they're being stalked by Luke Skywalker. Stalked by Luke Skywalker. <laughs> it's the Jedi Force. But there was one tale in particular, and it took place early 70s. Absolutely, I, I stress, I, I urge you to please watch, and we're not getting any funds or any money for this, but The Missing 411, The Hunted, it is worth it just for this story. They have some trees that have grown together that kind of make corner posts, and they have put some logs and stuff around it and made a makeshift cabin. Um, the door is literally a chunk of wood that is wedged in between, and it gives them some shelter from bears and, and cougars, mountain lions and stuff that you had mentioned. Uh, that was up in this area. But one night back in the 70s, um, I think there was three individuals total were camped out and they are awoken by words cannot explain the strangest, weirdest noises. It and it, it varies throughout the night. And well, it's like hoots and hollers and howls. And then there's some orangutan monkey-like noises. Almost like language at one uh, point. Almost like a demonic language. And then, I swear to goodness, it sounds like a, a big, fat oriental man cussing. <laughs> uh, but they're mimicking. They're trying to get responses, and they're getting responses. And whatever it is, they're building it up. You can tell. They, they're aggravating it. Um, but there's multiple sources, because you can hear it, like, on the right-hand side of the camp, the left-hand yeah. side of the camp. I, I'm speechless. I mean, that those videos and stuff of that early recording, and again, it's not the best recording because back in the 70s, but that recording was taken and uh, looked through by several specialists, and they said it was not hoaxed. There is no way, because the guys are over top of, the, uh, of whatever this is out in the woods, it's layered. So there's no way that you could layer and piece this together to this point. Just unbelievable, uh, some of the stuff that's going on up there. Yeah. They they claim it could be Bigfoot, UFO, obviously, extraterrestrial, maybe a crossbreed. But I tell you what, if I was up there in the middle of the Sonora Mountains and no signs of uh, civilization anywhere around and heard that, I, I don't know if I would have uh, stayed in the cabin and kept my mouth shut. I don't know if I would have shot. I don't know what I would have done. Well, Pauline's... You know, like I said, a lot of these explanations are just poorly prepared people, untrained people, uneducated kids. You know, again, water sources, cold water, somebody falls in the water, their body never comes back to the surface. Uh, and some of these are just wrong place, wrong time, like we said. But but Polly's believes there is something sinister, something maybe even otherworldly out there involved in these disappearances. So, 
And the list literally just, it's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. There's a Charles McCare, uh, Crater Lake, Oregon. Um, there's a Brandon upon September of 2020. I mean, this is some recent stuff. Yeah. This was a man in Washington state with a German shepherd failed to check in with his family. 366 search and rescue canine units, drones, 80 mile radius uh, search lasted a week without any real clues. No signs of human or dog remains, no personal items found. It was a single camping night uh, supposed to be found the car still parked where he'd left it undisturbed. I mean, just weird, weird stuff. The list goes on and on. Uh, so again, uh, the next time you plan a vacation with your family and <laughs> friends, you just might want to make sure you you pack some extras. Yeah, avoid these hot spots. Um, <laughs> stay within sight of each other. Go, go somewhere where you. And I mean, let's be honest. This is just good information as it is. Absolutely. Stay within sight of each other. Travel in pairs. Be prepared. Bring you know enough supplies. Understand the weather. And understand the place that you're at. If you hear a Sasquatch, maybe not mimic it. Don't argue with the Bigfoot. Don't argue with the Bigfoot. If it throws <laughs> rocks at you, leave that Don't area. approach the UFO. Uh-huh. Don't follow the creepy lady that looks like your grandma with a glowing head. Stay away from giant spiders, lightsabers in the woods. <laughs> um, but again, we hope you enjoyed this. And that's just another example of what you'll find on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thanks for listening in. Hey, this is Eric, and I just wanted to give a little reach out and a plug to our first paying sponsor for Nightmares on the Lost Highway. That's our little family uh, toy and gaming shop here in Lebanon, Missouri, called Raven's Loft. If you happen to be in the central Missouri area, please check us out. We have two locations. First one is at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon. We've also branched out to a second location out at the Heartland Antique Mall, also here in Lebanon. You're going to find all kinds of vintage toys, Star Wars, Star Trek, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mego, Universal Monsters, all types of gaming, board games, Magic the Gathering. So we would appreciate it if you'd uh, stop by. You can like our Facebook page. Uh, Swing by and check us out. Thank you so much. I would like to thank uh, Alex Tudor, who has been helping us uh, a lot uh, with our endeavors on this podcast. You can call him our producer at this point, I think. Our producer, electronic recording technician. Um, um, he's uh, the one that's setting up all the mics and the hardware in the background. And then Bill Weirs is going through taking his time to try to clean and edit this up and uh, give us the best possible version that we can present to you folks. want to thank everybody involved with that.